how many of us that looks like our prayer life? You're trying to get to know a God. You're trying to get to have a relationship. You're trying to go to, and you never talk to him. And how are you supposed to get to know someone? Maybe if I'd given them enough time, they could write out letters and do everything else. Um, but what's sad is so many of us say, well, I know it's, it's not a code of ethic. It's a person and we have a relationship. And yet, if we were to actually look at our prayer lives, how would we ever know who we're communicating with? This is Nate included. Um, and so it just doesn't work very well. Oh, I have, the, I have the clicker. So I have three quotes for you, and then I have a question. So this is the first one. It's by Tim Keller. The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they're required to by cultural or social expectations, or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Those with a genuine, genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. They pursue it even during times of spiritual dryness when there's no social or experiential payoff. So he's saying here, anyone can pray, but you really want to know how good your spiritual walk with the Lord is, how much you pray in private. <coughs> Brian Loritz, every prayerless day is a day lived in functional atheism. Yeah, yeah, not fun. Um, Robert Murray... Uh, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is in nothing more. All right, you got three quotes. I want you to turn to the person next to you. How would you say your relationship with the Lord is based on those quotes? Okay, we're going to bring it together. Um, if you feel anything like me, you're like, Nate, why did you show those quotes? They're really hard. Like, I think, I think a majority of us in this room would say, what I, what I just answered is worse than I thought what my relationship with the Lord was. And, and that's okay, but I think it's just helpful to start thinking about. Um, but what I want to do today is hopefully to give you compelling reasons, like why we should pray, what prayer is, um, and why it's so difficult. So I, this has been challenging even for myself. A couple guys asked me this morning, how are you feeling about the talk? I'm like, I just feel anxious because I don't feel like I can portray prayer well and along with that I feel like it's my weakest spiritual discipline and so I feel like a hypocrite to come out here and be like hey how does your life and it's like hey don't just stand up here by yourself don't engage with how your prayer life really is um, but it's so challenging and it can feel so mystical and strange um, and there's just so many challenges so hopefully we can give a little more clarity to kind of what it is and what's going to look like so if you'd like to take notes the, the outline is going to be why is it so difficult um, then the second part is going to be what is prayer? The third, and then the third part will be why should I pray? And then for the workshop, we'll teach you a way to pray. And so um, I'm going to jump in because I really need the Lord's help. Um, so we're going to ask for prayer quick, and then we'll we'll dive in. So Lord, um, I feel anxious. I feel like I can't um, articulate why we should pray so well. And Lord, I feel inadequate. I feel guilty even in thinking about this talk. I didn't pray enough for this talk. I didn't pray enough this morning and what you could do because, Lord, I don't really think I need you. I think I can do it. I think Nate's fine. You know, would you kill that in me? Would you kill that in this room? And would we not be a prayerless people that lives as functional atheists while, while some atheists are walking around trying to throw up prayers um, for tough circumstances? So would we not live as these quotes are describing? Um, so would you help us and encourage us to us today? Let us on your son's name. Amen. So number one, why is prayer so difficult? And I just want to, I'll give a clarifier here. These are not biblical things. I'm looking at my own life 
in quotes and other people of why I think it's so difficult for Nate to pray. Um, number one, we are so distracted. Um, and so your phones are an amazing gift. All the phones, technology, everything else, it's an unbelievable gift, but it has destroyed our ability to just sit in silence, to sit and be quiet, to sit and not be connected to our friends, to people, um, Instagram, or different um, social media platforms. And then really good things, like John Piper has a quote where he says, sin never keeps me from praying. It's holy things that, it's, a, it's another holy email I need to respond to. It's a holy conversation, it's a holy, um, understanding of context so my sermon will be better. He's like, these things keep me away from prayer. But emails, homework, music, tests, stuff is always going around. You guys know as you walk around on campus, everyone has earbuds in or is looking at their phone. And I'm sure you're like me. There's times where you're walking around where you just really don't want to interact with the world and you pull out your phone even though no one is texting you or messaging you or anything else because you want to look busy and connected. Um, but we, we run from silence. We run from not being distracted, because I think if we're honest, we're scared of what we'll find. Um, that's all over, um, like even if you wanna look at like 21 Pilots, Brittany, what's their song? Uh, car radio. Car radio. The guy is terrified of silence. It's all throughout pop culture and everything else. We're scared of silence. And I find this all the time, even we have, so while you guys are working at Walmart, you think the staff are just out tanning the whole time, which isn't quite true. We have, uh, <laughs> you might look at Alexis and be like, man, he's gotten a lot of time with the pool. No, he's just gifted in tanning. It doesn't take him that long. But there's, so we read a book and then we have discussion questions. But what's crazy is even as a staff team, we finish the book, we come in and there's time for like discussion, deeper thinking, everything else. But you look around, every staff person is on their phone. We're all checking the next thing, connected, anything else. This is all of us, but we hate the silence. And Francis Chan, during a recent, recent interview, was asked, what is the biggest problem with the future generation? I don't have it up there, but he, and he says, it is the inability to concentrate during prayer. Think about it. The biggest problem he could list, it is an inability to concentrate during prayer. But I believe silence makes us really uncomfortable, the idea of setting aside time. And then there's this thing called FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. And I think this just kills our prayer lives. It's always what's going on, um, whether it is through your phone or people or anything else. You might set aside time for prayer, and then your roommate's like, bro, I need someone to play Call of Duty with me. Maybe that's not even Fortnite. I don't know what the kids play these days. I'm not video connected. Um, or maybe for women, it's like, hey, I just need someone to talk. Something hard happened in my life, and it's like, that's such a good thing. And yet immediately we cast aside the idea of prayer, silence. Um, but we love to be distracted and we, we hate when we're not distracted. Um, number two, we don't want to be disappointed. Um, this is really personal for me, but if you ask for things, if you actually pray, then there's a chance he says no. There's a chance he doesn't respond as you want to. And what do you do with that? I think sometimes it's just easier not to ask. I think I have two, two good examples of this. One was a guy named Dan Sturkin, and one has been my mom. So Dan Sturkin's a guy on our staff, he used to be a guy on our staff team and he passed away last year. Um, and he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And then at first, I honestly thought it was kind of, I'm like, oh, that's colon cancer, he's gonna get surgery, he's gonna be fine. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then there was a point in time where it was like, he's gonna die. Um, there's, there's no doubt this man is gonna die. And I remember talking a little bit to Ellie, but then talking to Paul 
and being like, dude, I've tried to pray. I can't do it. I can't go to the Lord. The man's going to die anyway. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to ask for healing. I'm sick of a God that does this. I'm sick of a God who's going to say, no, it's, if I just don't ask, then I don't have to be disappointed. The bar is set low, and I don't have to deal with it. And it was just heartbreaking walking through. How do I even pray? I don't know what to ask. And it was, I would try to pray. And I would say it like that, that was open thing. I don't know if you guys have, but I have the praying hands emoji. And I wonder for some of our lives, that's as much of prayer as we do, is sending the emoji to someone. Or sending, but there's times I would send the emoji to the, to the team when he'd put up a prayer request, and I wouldn't pray. Because I felt so disappointed. And I'm like, there's nothing that's going to happen here, and I don't know what to do. Another instance has been my mom. So my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was five, um, or turning five. Had severe brain tumors, given a 6% chance of survival. Um, has, um, she's still alive. Surgery did massive damage to her brain, and my mom does not function like a normal person. I grew up essentially without a loving mom in any way. And for years, I tried to pray for healing. And then I just stopped. I'm like, Lord, I can't do it anymore. You've said no for the past 7 to 10, 12 years. I'm done with asking for healing because every time I come home, my mom is the exact same or getting worse, and she just continues to get worse. She doesn't remember this stuff. All she does is have seizures and sleep. And I'm done. We, don't, we are so disappointed. And so I just gave up. And I still, to this day, don't pray for my mom. Because I think it's hopeless. And I think this, this is so much for us. We don't want to be disappointed by the Lord. And so why even start? Um, number three and four, I think, is where it really starts to get real um, and far too true. Um, number three, we, and by the way, when I put we, I want you, if you're taking notes, put I, if this is true for you. I don't want it to feel like this is just ambiguous, all Christians, whatever. This is, this is Nate or whatever. I just put we up here because it's the collective body. Number three, we don't really want him. Nate doesn't really want him. Um, John 6, 26 is um, Jesus is like fed a bunch of people. He leaves, goes to the other side of the sea. He wakes up and all the people get in a boat, go and follow him. And, uh, and what he says to them is essentially, um, you came just because I can fill your belly. You did, not become, you did not come because of the signs you saw. Like you came only because I could give you something. You actually want nothing to do with, with who I am. Um, another Tim Keller quote. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social justice or status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart desires seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Also, ordinarily, our prayers are not varied. They consist of usually of petitions, occasionally of some confession, if we've just done something wrong. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. In short, we have no positive inner desire to pray. We do it only when the circumstances force us. Why? We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. We therefore pray to procure things, not to know him better. And this goes back to the question I asked at the end of last talk. If heaven could have everything you ever wanted without Jesus, would you say yes to that? Would you be satisfied? Um, this is the idea of we don't actually want him and so um, and with that I think honestly if most of us were to be honest prayer feels much more boring this is where FOMO comes again it feels much more boring than the other things in our lives 
Part of the reason we don't pray is we don't, we don't really want him, but also it's just boring. He's boring to interact with, and I don't want to deal with it. Then number four, I, or we, don't think we need him. Kathy Keller, so in Tim Keller's book, a lot of stuff I'm pulling from is from Tim Keller's book on prayer. He has like what, what started his marriage and why they really started praying in their marriage. And it was at one point his wife came to him and, and was like, hey, we need to pray more. And I think he was like, yeah, that's probably a good thing. But then she gave a story of like, hey, if you had a sickness where you needed to take a pill twice a day, every single day, or would you die, or you would die, would you ever miss a pill? And he was like, oh, oh well, of course not. But that shows the need. It was like, I would have it scheduled out. I have reminders on my phone. I'd never have to think about it. I would always take this pill twice a day. Our dog has tons of seizures. And even then, we have reminders. So he gets three different types of meds. He's all drugged up. I'll show you a picture of him at some point. He's, he's crazy. But he gets, he gets all these seizures, so he needs his medicine on time. And for my dog, well, normally my wife, but sometimes I, uh, get him his medicine on time. Imagine if it was your life. But if, if you really thought you needed prayer, it would look like that. You could tell if someone didn't think they were really sick if they never took the pill. Um, in the same way, I think you can tell we don't think we need them because we don't really pray. Um, and even with that, like I want to be independent, not dependent. And I, Nate believes I have the power to control people's lives or to fix things, which is why I don't need him. The reason I didn't pray more for this talk is I thought Nate's articulate enough, he can come up with enough, he's going to Bible, I can fix it. I can articulate this in a way that's going to change hearts. It's because I don't really believe I need him. I believe I can do this. When I go out on the beach or go on campus, I believe I can fix stuff, which is why I don't pray more. Um, so, those are four ways. And I would encourage you, if these don't feel true for you, find things, why, why is prayer so difficult? And if it's not difficult for you, just ignore this slide. You are, you're a champ. Um, and I wish I was more like you. But, so number two, what is prayer? So that's why we don't pray, but what is it actually? We're gonna use a really simple definition uh, that Keller gives, answering God. And so even if you know the, the talk title, I don't remember if I even said that would be um, imperishable answer, and we'll get to why I called it that. But what is prayer? It is answering God. And so last week we talked about how the Bible is a story. Um, and another part of the story, like Billy Graham would say, the Bible is a love letter. So I put a little Charlie Brown picture for you guys at the bottom um, saying, any love letters for me today? But why is he checking for love letters? Not only does it make him feel good, but you get a love letter, what do you do with it? You, re- you read it and then you respond back. Unless you really, really don't like him or her, then you burn it and pretend it didn't happen. But when Ellie, if Ellie writes me a letter, I can't wait to read it and keep it and pour over it and think about it. Or she tells me nice things about me or anything else. But you look, trust me, it's, it's bad. She says one compliment and that can run me for a year. That just goes forever. Man. But you get a love letter and you respond. And that's what prayer is. And you have, you have his word, which is a love letter to you, talking about what he thinks about you. And you, so you, it points to you, you read and then respond. You read and respond read and respond, but it's always an outpouring back um, and talking back to God. He's already written you a long, long letter, um, which I think even proof in my life that I don't, I don't really care about this or do this. Like, obviously, I'm part of giving the Bible study training, doing all this stuff, and I read, I read the Bible a lot of these mornings of projects and everything else, but if I'm reading with someone, even when something really hits me and is sweet and is beautiful, I don't stop and respond and say, hey, give me a minute. I need to pray and thank the Lord for this. I just keep going with my Bible study. Why? Because I value the knowledge more than I value 
the relationship and talking back to God is what I think it is. So I would encourage you, as something gets you, take it, it's okay to take a minute and say, hey, I need to respond to this. This is an unbelievable attribute of God. I need to thank him. I can't believe he says this about me. I need to pray this. But you're supposed to read and respond. Letters or text messages or anything else, it goes two ways. Um, but so often, um, we, don't, we don't respond back. Um, but it's a love letter, and you get a chance to respond. Number two, prayer is both for ourselves and for God. So this point might seem a little fuzzy. We'll see if we can, if we can bring it together. But I think one thing that's helpful is Jesus prayed a lot. I just took a small snippet. I just copied and pasted because I was lazy. Of places where it says Jesus prays. And there was, a, there was like three more paragraphs of references to what he prays. And this is times when he's alone in public, before meals and decisions, healing, doing the Father's will, other things, and then teaching the importance of prayer. Have you ever thought about why did Jesus need to pray? God in the flesh, who's one with him, who's had a perfect relationship with him, and, and everything else, why would Jesus pray? Um, I'm not going to get into the, you can ask it at Theology Time with Zach, and you'll get, you'll get a, really, a really good answer, um, I think, and we're not, we just don't have time to, to cover all of it. But I think this is because prayer is also for us. It just does something in us, and it changes us, um, even making Jesus' will more aligned with him. Because even like Psalm 139 would say, before a word is on my tongue, you know it. So, so what's the value in going to him? But then we have the, the Lord's Prayer here. And I think there's a couple things. There's like, hallowed be your name and your will be done. And this is Jesus trying to teach us how to pray. But I think why he sticks, these two things stick out so much is he's saying, your kingdom come, make it like it is on heaven. But then also, um, your will be done, which means not my will. It changes you. As you begin to pray, it's not only for God, but it becomes something that happens in you. Um, so prayer has to be um, for you also because of what it does in you, what it says in you, and what it cultivates in you. I'll say it one more time. It has to be for us because of what it does in us, says in us, and cultivates in us. Um, John Piper, he's got some great resources on this stuff. But he has a long sermon on how um, prayer changes your will and everyone else's will. And how you do a disservice to this country, to this world, to your friends, to your spouses, to your significant others, to your family members, everyone else if you're not praying for them. Because the Lord's will is what changes them. The Lord working is what really moves. Um, so prayer is for us. And we're going to get into how it's for God. And then this is um, one that I think is pretty unbelievable to think about. So number three, it is the unleashing of God's power and glory. Have you ever thought of your prayers like that? It's the unleashing of power and glory. So you might be like, why is there a train up there? So there's this dude named Watchman Nee, uh, pastor in China, uh, was in prison for his faith, and I believe ended up being executed. So he's got Let Us Pray, this little book. But he had this quote in here that I thought was profound. He said, a brother once observed that God's will is like a train, whereas our prayers is like the rails of a train. A train may travel to any place, except that it must run on rails. It has tremendous power to go east, west, north, and south, but it can only run to places where rails have been laid. So that is not because God has no power. He, like a train, has great, great power. But because he chooses to be governed, he chooses to do this, be governed by man's prayer, Therefore, all valuable prayers, like a train's rails, pave the way for God, 
Consequently, if we do not take up the responsibility of prayer, we hinder the fulfillment of God's will. Um, and so what he's saying there is, for whatever reason, there's this weird thing with his heart in reform circles, that God's, what God does and how he works with people is just really unique. And we get this in multiple other places where it says even like, you have not because you ask not. Which means it's my desire to give it to you. But you haven't asked, so I haven't given it. Like he's, he's withheld that because we haven't asked. Um, yeah, I need to check my next slide. Oh, yeah. okay. um, and so um, we can't limit his work by not asking him to move and work. And so there's a passage that I think shows some of the sovereignty and stuff really well. And this isn't exactly prayer, but it's similar. Um, but how it takes God and man to do stuff together because he chooses to, not because he has to, but because he wants to work with us. This is Acts 27, 21 through 32. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some islands. So I'm going to pause there. So what's, what is he saying? He's saying, Hey, God told me last night through an angel, none of us will die because I have to stand before Rome. Gets a promise here. So that's what he gets from God. Is there on the ship. And then it goes on. When on the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. In fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boats into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, from the bow Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. You notice how peculiar Paul's response is here? He could have said, Hey, God promised to everyone, we're all going to live. You were with me, you're good to go, we're all going to live. Some dudes are like, Hey, we've got to get off this ship. They start lowering the boat. And what does he say? Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So he's saying, They leave, we might all die. But he had a promise from the Lord. Why does he have to do that? This is just proof again. It takes our faithfulness and God's working power. So God's sovereign choice is Paul's going to live. But he said, everyone with you. And Paul said, no one may leave this ship. Because we all have to set sail before. And the soldiers believe him. They cut down the ropes. And so it's just this weird, weird thing. And I think it's similar with prayer. God's will is to reach the world, to reach the nations, to go forward, to make himself known. And yet, he wants us to ask. And yet, he waits for us to do it. And not only that, but your prayers are unbelievably powerful. This is something new I learned preparing for this talk that I thought was so sweet. So Revelation 8, 3 through 5. Um, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God in the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's a little obscure, kind of strange. But Piper was just talking about, do you realize the prayers of the saints 
not only are they held forever, we're going we're to go there at the end, there's a verse explicitly telling us that, but they're part of how he pours judgment on the world. Like he waits and he pours your literal prayers back on the earth as tongues of fire. Have you ever thought your prayers have that much power? They're going to be thrown back in part of what the Lord does to redeem the earth. Your prayers, your insignificant 30-second prayers before meals, your prayers about what he could do in the world, your prayers all over the place are part of how he's going to come back um, and influence the world. Why should I pray? Number one, we have a relationship. Um, and so this is part of Jesus praying all the time is because they had a relationship, why we mimic it, not only we command it. Um, but I was trying to think of what's relevant to this group of people. I was thinking, like, how many of you in here have Snapchat? Probably almost everyone. Everyone but me, yeah. Um, but the, I know there's this thing called snap streaks. I've never had one. Always kind of slightly desired one, but have never had the capacity to get one. Um, but how you get a snap streak is you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Or when you send text messages, you wait for a response. You normally don't send text messages never expecting to receive anything back. In the same way, this is a relationship with the Lord. And you talk back and forth. I'm not saying you should try to Snapchat to God. I don't, I don't think he's on that. But, but it's a talking back and forth. Love letters, they take two of them. You can't just always be sending love letters and never receive anything in return. You, you get something back. And it's not a have to. I think with this, we can all, some of you might be hearing, Nate's starting to get into legalistic, we have to pray. No, you get to. Do you have to eat food today? No. But that's a duty too. But it's a sweet duty that you get to enjoy. Go to Chick-fil-A and really, really live it up. But it's not a duty. Why are you all breathing right now? It's a duty. Shouldn't you hate that? No, it gives you life. And prayer is the same way. You get to do it. You don't have to. Um... Psalm 62.8, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Which is, I think this is sweet, and, and Emma had made this comment. You don't need proper form. Pour out your heart, you get to word vomit, and he takes it. And I don't know if there's a better analogy than, well, pretty much all of you have interacted with Eden at this point. And I held Eden for most of the synchronized swimming routine, and she clapped for some bad performances, so she's not quite there. But she was just babbling, I don't know, I don't know, choo-choo, choo-choo, like pointing. I don't understand her, and I loved when she talked, when she tried to talk. And I'm not a parent, I don't understand, I don't know what Reed or Nikki feel in that, or Zach and Justine or others, but it's just babble. It's just a, a word vomit. Sully was talking to me on the swing this morning, and I have no idea what he was saying outside of he's a T-Rex. And then I don't know if he was roaring or doing whatever. And it just gave me joy. Um, I think another instance of this, we were doing staff training. I didn't ask his permission. Um, but Justine is normally just like processing the whole time. But she, when she shares, it's just profound and usually really good. But she started sharing the other day. And Zach started, I mean, Zach just looked at her and started tearing up as she was sharing. And it was such a sweet picture of the same thing. He loves her so much. And when she just starts sharing about what's dear to her, you just love it. And that's what the Father is to you. He loves your relationship. And it's a joy. Number two, this is, I mean, moving into it, you are delighted. <coughs> so similar to Eden, similar to Justine. I didn't use Ellie's example because the Zach and Justine was just much more clear in my mind. Babe, I love you. Um, I also enjoy when you talk. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
sometimes. Other times I just look down and I'm like, oh, she is so mad at me right now. Um, probably like right now. But good fathers. Some of you did not experience good fathers and mothers. And I'm sorry. But good fathers and mothers want to hear from you. Reed loves when Eden talks. Zach cries when he thinks about his children in any capacity. <laughs> but it's true. I get emotional thinking about little Zay, and I, and I don't even take care of him that much or anything else. Um, but they want to hear from the fathers. And so, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7, we're going to get there. But it says, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. John 16, 23 through 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Okay, so don't ask just so that you receive. Ask so that your joy can be full. Who wants more joy here? Pray, pray more. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Ask and enjoy. Um, and don't be afraid to actually ask. Um, and so, um, as I was even thinking about this, uh, sometimes I'm scared to ask. I'm scared because I don't want to be disappointed or anything else. But I also think, so I have a younger brother named Micah, who some of you have, have met. And there was all sorts of things I wanted as a kid. And I was too anxious. And I didn't want to be told no. And so I made Micah do absolutely everything. Um, so I love having dogs. We always wanted a dog growing up. Didn't have one for a long time. But I remember I would... Me and my sister would, would tell Mike that you have to go ask our parents for a dog. And he would be like, no. And then I would just guilt him so bad of like, you don't want a dog? Would you not love him and take care of him? He's like, I'll ask. And then, and so Micah, Micah would just trudge out there and me and Caleb would like stare from behind the corner. And my parents would just look at us and be like, I can't believe they're doing this to them again. And we just sent him after thing after thing, whether it was ice cream or a dog or anything else. Um, but in, I think in a way, my parents, but they would say, they said no to the dog for a long time. But they were so proud of Micah for asking. And they would tell us like, hey, Nate, you can ask us for things. Like, you, you should be the one to say it. And, and there's just a sweetness when you ask. And the follow-up is, yes, we're getting a dog. And it's like, oh, I wish I would have asked earlier. Maybe Micah was just bad at it all these years. <laughs> but... But how, I think there's just, how often are you actually willing to ask and say, Daddy, here, would you be so kind? And I promise you, he might, even if he says no now, later he's going to lavishly say yes. It is not wasted. When I was with Dan Sir, I didn't know how to pray. Paul told me, Nate, the answer is yes. The answer for your mom in healing is yes. Might be in heaven, but he's going to fulfill it. And he's holding it now, waiting to fulfill it. But will you ask? Um... Number three, um, I don't think you can fail in praying. I think the only way to fail in praying is not to pray. Um, a variety of reasons for this, and I forgot to put some of these on the screen. Um, so, Romans 8, 26, and 20, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you realize the Spirit, if you're in Jesus right now, is interceding for you and praying for you? All, like, what's your deepest needs are going to be taken care of? All I'm asking is enter the joy of your Master and join in. Like, you have the full opportunity. Now you get to say yes, and not only with that, I don't even know how to pray, but I'm just going to try. I'm going to word vomit and see how Dad takes it. And He's good. 
Um, and so um, you can't fail when you pray. And as the more you pray and the more he conforms and changes you and brings you to his will and everything else, your prayers are just going to get more biblical. Right now, there might be times where I'd be like, that wasn't a great prayer. Or whatever, like, Nate, that was not biblically sound or anything else. Yeah, I think the Lord still treasures it. And it's kind of like the Eden Babel, like, he didn't really get it yet. But thank you for talking to me. I'm so excited that you're talking to me. Um, and I would say, even when you don't pray, some, you might be feeling guilty. I want you to know, First John 2.1, you have an advocate named Jesus who is also interceding for you. So you, you may have never prayed before, and you're praying hands emojis the most you've ever done. You find you don't receive condemnation. You have an advocate. So not only is the Spirit advocating in, in, in going to the Father for you, you have Jesus who's saying, oh no, that's, that's still my son, and he's good. And I want him to learn. And I want him to start coming and enjoy it. Uh, and I think that will happen from Jesus. And then last one, it's an imperishable answer. You might be like, well, my prayers dissipate. This is Revelation 5.8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. A couple profound things here. So number one, your prayers are sweet incense to God. Have you ever thought like that? They're a sweet incense. Like, our hotel room doesn't always smell great, so we have a candle that we light that smells like lilacs because I'm allergic to them, so I can't have it any other time of the year. Um, but that starts, the aroma comes, and you start finding, oh, that's good. And that's what the Lord is saying your prayers are. Don't you want to give that to Him? And on top of that, they are being held in a bowl forever. He has never let a prayer go. These are the same prayers that are going to be poured out on the world, but it's imperishable because it is sitting there in bowl. So you might think it's just a flippant thing that I'm throwing up there. And the Lord said, this is a pleasing aroma that I'm now saving. It's a treasure, and now I'm going to do my work with it. Have you ever thought about your prayers like that? That not only they're part of the future, it's part of what they're going to do, but they're sweet incense that he just smells and loves and enjoys. And these creatures, which if one of them appeared in this room, we would fall down and worship it. These are golden bowls, which are unbelievable. It's your prayers. And they're really good.